0: Hey, Three Circle Church, this is Chris Bell. I want to welcome you to the podcast. Again, we're in the middle of the seven series. We're looking at the seven churches of Revelation, and uh, this has been an amazing series so far. We're all learning and getting so much out of it. And uh, we have been doing a podcast each week following the the weekend teaching, and we have had some incredible guests on the podcast so far discussing these churches. And today is going to be no different. I'm really excited to invite my friend and a guy that a lot of you know because he spoke at our men's conference last year. His name is Dean and Sierra. He is the pastor of City Church Tallahassee, wrote a great book last year. In fact, I think our book we both wrote a book that released pretty close to the same time, and, and uh, man, just an incredible book that Dean wrote, and we are honored to have him on the podcast. And another little thing is that Dean and I both consider James Merritt one of our mentors, so we both have a common mentor in him. And so, Dean, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for taking time to uh, jump on here with us.
1: Oh, it's great to be with you. I absolutely loved being at the men's conference last year, and it's uh, good to be back uh, with you via, I guess, uh, Telephone
0: this time. Yeah, really, really cool that we can do this. And uh, Dean, we have such a respect for your ministry. Your book uh, was amazing, and I know that it has spoken to a lot of guys that that I've talked to, spoke to me as well. And uh, and then your teaching last year was just awesome, and I, and I'll never forget a, a big statement that you made last year. A lot of guys still talk about it when you said, "I, I would rather uh, starve to death than to eat from the kitchen of Satan." And we were just, you know, I, I just remember. Right, you may not even remember saying. That but it was awesome.
1: Well, I appreciate that, man. I love your church, love what's happening there, and, and glad to be a part of it from a distance.
0: Thanks, bro. So we're in the middle of the seven series, and you agreed to jump on and talk with us. So this past weekend, uh, we taught on the Church of Pergamus. And each one of these churches is interesting um, as as you look at the book of Revelation. First of all, I've been asking all the guests, I'd love to hear your take on this. We, we thought right out of the gate that we needed to kind of reset the expectation for people uh, even hearing us teach on Revelation, because depending on how you grew up and what your background is, you can have all over the map uh, different ideas on what the book of Revelation is about. Uh, but we thought that it was a great kind of uh, setting of the foundation to remind people that it's about the unveiling of Christ. Dean, as a theologian and a pastor, how important do you think it is that people in churches, modern Christians, understand what the book of Revelation is all about and that it points us right back to Jesus?
1: Oh, I think it's critical because I think there's maybe an intimidation for pastors uh, or a little bit of a hesitancy to actually work through any part of the book because maybe the guys have been taught their whole lives that everything is symbolic and futuristic and you're— uh, supposed to have to unlock all these special meanings and codes, all those mm-hmm. types of things. Right. But really, it is about the ultimate supremacy of Christ and his rule and his reign. And, and the seven churches especially. I mean, they might as—I know the Bible applies to right now. It's a timeless truth we've been given as God's word. Right. Uh, but this—when you read the seven letters to the churches, that's what we're going to talk about today. They might as well have sat down at Starbucks last week and wrote these seven letters. These oh, seven I love churches. that.
0: It's so I mean, true. It applies,
1: it applies so much. So
0: Unbelievably I, I be, relevant, Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. So a lot of times we say, Oh, we're gonna go through Revelation, the whole church goes, Ooh, you know, like it's some <laughs> kind of mythical thing we're doing. When I right. think that we need to approach it no different than if we're going through First Corinthians or going through Romans. Like, Correct. this is God's word. This is God's words to us and it's to be understood and it's to be heard. So I'm excited to talk about it today.
0: Yeah, that that's awesome. So you're saying that you're not gonna give us a prediction on the second coming of Christ today. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Man, I wish I was that good. I, I really do. <laughs> well, what we do know
0: is that the book is about Jesus. And and so what we have is the the Apostle John, he sees not, not just a dream, it's a vision. He's seeing Jesus in his glory. And he had already seen that on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he's seeing again, Jesus unveils his glory. It's awesome. And then Jesus says, write these letters to the churches. And uh, we've looked at Ephesus, and we've looked at Smyrna last week, the persecuted church. And today we're looking at a church that's kind of known as the Compromising Church, the Church of Pergamos. And let's just dive in, Dean. When you look at like verse 12 and uh, verse 13, Jesus introduces himself differently to each one of the churches, which is so interesting. And to Pergamos, he introduces himself as the one with the sharp two-edged sword. So we're talking about his word and his truth and that he's the keeper of truth. And that's really where the church of Pergamos was uh, kind of compromising is when it came to doctrine and truth. So when you see that picture of Jesus with a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, and, and he's the, the the one with truth, what does that say to you as a pastor? What do you think Jesus was trying to communicate to a church that was starting to slip in truth and doctrine?
1: Well, I think that if our foundation of our churches aren't on his word, then we have nothing to stand on, and, and, and how interesting that right away he says that. Ah, uh, where they live, where they're doing ministry, is where Satan's throne is. Oh like, man, what what words! You
0: I know? know, right? So, so chilling so, to hear that. I
1: know it's like so. I mean, I so think of the most, I guess, secular, and I guess secular actually might be the wrong word because there was such a you know polytheistic Correct. Uh, kind of world they were in. So how multiple gods,
0: use, right? Multiple yeah. temples in Pergamus.
1: Yeah, what we would view as secular today basically means godless, right? You know, so so they were godless. So there was much godlessness around them in terms of the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was
0: lots of religion, right, Dean?
1: Lots, lots. Uh, But but for how we would view it today, I think we would it would would look like maybe what what secular America is today in terms of the gods of success and the gods Mm -hmm. of you know sex and the gods of of, of money and those type of things just look different in terms of what the objects. Of their worship were they actually were more created deities rather than functional deities like we have today. Uh, so uh, I think here here comes Jesus out of the gate saying, "Hey, I- I'm the one who has a sharp double-edged sword. I'm the one who has the word. I'm about to pierce it through, right? Uh, to show you exactly what my word says compared to where you're compromising. And this is and you guys better listen up."
0: Yeah that that is so good and and you know we live in a time and I hear this a lot Dean and I don't I'm sure you do in your context as well is that people have their own version of truth so th- literally the phraseology now is her truth his truth everybody has a truth what do you think, uh, just in a society, but but here we're talking about the church, when a church begins to let that type of thinking seep into our, our doctrinal and our foundational truths, when we begin to go, hey, we can find truth inside of us, right? It's, it's in us. Why is that so dangerous, and why do we need this plumb line, if you will, of Jesus and absolute truth in Scripture?
1: Well, I think if we're seeking my truth and your truth and our truth, that we're starting to make Jesus unnecessary. If Mm. I'm not dependent upon God and his word for truth, then I might not actually mean it this way. But what I'm, again, functionally saying is that I can depend on me and what I think right. uh, and my own interpretation and my own insight. And, and really, I, I think of, of it a way almost like we are about morality often in the world where people think that they can be good on their own. You know, they mm-hmm. can earn their way to heaven. Right. And the book, of, the book of Galatians says in chapter two, if that's true, then Jesus died for nothing. Uh, so if which we know we no one wants to admit right. that out loud, I right. think Jesus died for nothing. So if we're saying that we can find our own truth, we are screaming out loud not even realizing that the Bible's unnecessary, that God's Man. revelation isn't really that needed as long as I have my own. So and true. it's so te- and it's so tempting, because again, that sounds extreme, but that's actually really what we're doing uh, when we claim those things. And it's really tempting to do that to because no one wants to be seen as being extreme or right. a bigot. And it, it's right. so easy, or I'm the only one who's right. It's like, no, I'm not saying I'm the one who's right. We're saying that God's right. (laughs) And here's how God has spoken. Here's what he said. And I think we have to make sure we're clear. I'm not saying that God doesn't speak in other ways. I'm never going to tell God what he can and can't do. Sure. But the one way we can know for sure, without a doubt that God is speaking to us is through his word. Uh, so we can't be afraid to say
0: that. Absolutely. You know a phrase we have just with I know you're a dad and raising kids like I am. And in our family devotions, a thing we talk about a lot is that uh, Jesus is Lord and and the Bible is our boss. and and the re- the reason we're saying that is because I want my kids to understand that Jesus and his word are are one, really. I mean, John said that, that Jesus was the Word made flesh. And to understand that we our authority as believers, as you said earlier, has to be scripture, or, or in the end, what do we have to stand on, right?
1: Absolutely, no. I appreciate that you're leading your family that way. It's a good, that's a good challenge to me. Uh, and, but, and when we get into, I guess the, the mix of what this area was that Jesus was writing to this city. The temptation, again, is going to be to go with the flow, right? even though we might not even know, even though we might even know in our hearts that this is wrong. There's still that temptation to not want to be seen, as some people might say, on the wrong side of history or something along those lines, just to drift with whatever is the newest thing at the time.
0: Right. That That's so good. So one of the points that we made in the sermon, and, and most of the people that are listening to you right now, Dean, listen to a message on this, is that basically we, we said that we're either moving towards Scripture or we're moving away from it. It's really hard to stay neutral there. And one of the big ideas, I think, is that if if you, if you your standard is scripture, then you have to run every part of your life. And, and the people here in Pergamus had to do the same thing. So sexuality and money and the way I do life and the way I raise my kids and the way I see marriage and on and on and on it goes. If I have a floating standard, then I'm, I'm just going to be all over the map. But the question is, if we as believers decide scripture is the absolute uh, uh, truth for us, then we've got to move our life towards it. And I think we all grow in it, right? Because I know I've been preaching for 20 years, and I look back, and and there's things that have morphed theologically for me, but they're morphing towards Scripture. I'm I'm being drawn to the truth, not away from it. How how would you kind of characterize that in your own life, and even as a pastor leading a large church, that we need to move people towards Scripture and not away from it?
1: Yeah, yeah. Let's err on too much, <laughs> too right. much more into the Bible, not too little. I think area where it's challenged me the most is, is I think I felt pressure often. I don't know where the pressure came from. It might have been self imposed that, that early on in my ministry that I had to kind of have be be more creative, get a new idea, get a new thought. Yes, and I think that's, I think that kind of stuff's great for you know maybe environments and sure. graphics and you know technology and those kind of things. But when it comes to the word, I, I need to go to it and, and, and help our church that the Lord is allowing me to lead to know that this really is where my confidence lies. Oh, that's so like, good. I, I I really do believe this. Like I actually do believe right. this is what God has said to us, and it's an act of grace. He wants us to know Him. How incredible mm. is that? You know. And, and either we're going to know more of God or know more of the world. I think a very commonly quoted verse of not to be conformed to the patterns of this world would be right. you know be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Well, how does that happen? Happens to the Bible, and so and and, ha, so and how do we get and how do we get conformed to the world? Just what you said by drifting away from the Bible and drifting to the world. And, and I, when I look at this this church and this letter, I, I see what happened is happening. That it's nothing new, and it's definitely not old. Right. It actually it actually dates back to Genesis, the fall of man, where where we're really tempted with two lies. And the first mm-hmm. lie is there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying Him. Yes. And the second one is. I have to go around God from looking for, rather than right to Him. Mm-hmm. It's and really and, and, when, and, when, and when a culture that's godless is basically screaming that message at us, it's really easy to give into it. That's why we have to be people who really are rooted in the scriptures. and That's not a cliche. That's an actual, like, needs to be the discipline of our hearts. It's like we actually want to hear from God and believe it's an act of love and grace that we even have an opportunity to hear from him in the first place.
0: Yeah, that's that's really good, man. It's interesting when you look here, this antipass was uh, obviously a Christian who who had been martyred in Pergamos. And so when you look at that, uh, you know there was a real threat to these believers uh, that you know and Jesus doesn't water it down he even reminds them instead of kind of trying to bury the fact that one of their own had been killed over his faith and holding true to scripture he he points it out and he says look there's been one among you who gave you an example of faithfulness and he died for it and basically Jesus is saying I want you guys to do the same thing I want that level of commitment now I think most of the people we're preaching to Dean are probably not going to face that level of persecution but let's be honest and our culture, it seems that things are tightening up, and to be a person of faith and a person beholden to Scripture as our authority, there's going to be a lot more pressure. Uh, how are you communicating to your to the people you preach to week in and week out on how to handle that pressure and how to stay true to the Bible?
1: Yeah, well, you know, he, he, in the, in, to the to Pergamos, he tells them that this is where Satan's throne is, where he lives, right? That's what he actually right. tells them. So what that tells us is that Satan's throne stands in direct opposition to the heavenly throne, mm. right? 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 In the great yes. battle for, for the lordship over this world, we know that Jesus ultimately wins, and he's winning and wins. Uh, and so, I think that we need to to continually remind our folks that we are not the first ones to go through this. That's good. Uh, that, that is a promise. So, church
0: history, in a way, this is why church matter. history matters.
1: Yeah, and and we're, and also, just look around the world. Uh, and what our brothers and sisters are going through in different places. And yeah, our heads might not be on a chopping block. Again, I'm thankful personally uh, for my family and I for that reality right now. But at the same time, it's going to look different for us. It's going to be things that, you know, maybe our our people in closed countries don't experience. But for us, it's it's alienation. Mm -hmm. It's maybe, uh, you know, getting made fun of. Social strain. Yeah, absolutely. Not being viewed in certain ways. And, And I think we just have to really Come to grips with the fact that that we're never going to make this religion that we call Christianity acceptable enough, or cool enough, if you know, or or, or appeasing enough. Like it, it really has to be. Uh, this the back to this true convictional countercultural message of Jesus being lord and it's going to go in direct opposition uh, to a place where as has John wrote as, as Jesus said where Satan lives yeah. right where his throne is and that's and that's all now that's all over the world that's uh, but right. here yeah i mean th- this this place here I, I was I was just reading more about uh, just Pergamus in general. I, I want One writer called it the Washington, D.C. of their time. Yes, yes, you know, very it, interesting. It was, it was the seat of the Roman government you know, for the right. whole province. It was the first people to erect a temple to, to the to Caesar, to, to, and right. then to Zeus, and then to uh, another serpent god. I mean, just on and on. Which is
0: the medical profession, by the way. We still use the symbol of Pergamos. Isn't that wild? It's wild. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing?
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So when so, you, uh, so.
0: It's amazing, really.
1: Yeah, so so there's always gonna be this kind of if you can't beat them, join them temptation. Mm. It's all is always gonna so be good. there, and we have to realize that this is a losing effort on their end; that ours is not. Yes. Uh, and, and that is worth it. I mean, look at Revelation, if anything, should give us encouragement that all the rest of the Bible is true, that Jesus really does win. <laughs> you know? and, oh, and, and yeah. And so, such good yeah, and, news. And, and, and that's what we have to, we have to really just not just bank on, but put our entire, it needs to be the air we breathe, man. right? That Jesus wins. Jesus and wins. And it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah,
0: no doubt. Looking at verses 15 and 16, uh, it's interesting. Jesus does something here that I don't think we often attach to Jesus when we think about him, but he tells us that he hates something, and he hates the doctrine of this group called the Nicolaitans. And when you look at these guys, without us doing a deep dive, because uh, really we don't have a ton of information, at least from what I have found on what they believed, but it was certainly false doctrine— so there was this group that, that were teaching things that were not the gospel. that was not scripture. And Jesus comes out of the gate here going, I hate that. Like, you want to know something I am opposed to? I hate false doctrine. How do we take that, Dean? I mean, those you know, guys like you and I are pastors, but not just, I mean, every mom and dad in our churches, you know, making sure their kids hear the truth. Why do you think truth matters so much to Jesus? And what should that say to us about how we guard against false doctrine?
1: Well, he wants his word to be what drives us, what he says to be everything that we are. And and I think one of the things that makes people shy away from caring about doctrine sometimes is we have this false belief that it's disunifying. Okay. And and when Jesus prayed in John 17 for the church to be unified, in the exact same prayer he preached, sanctify them in your truth, Mm, that your word is true. So the unity had an object, and that object was the word of God. Uh, so, so I think that we have to make sure that we that we are basically walking examples of Jesus' prayer. That we're united, not for the sake of unity. We're united in the word under the word of God in Christ. Uh, so I also find it interesting that he also he, he named names.
0: Oh yeah, <laughs> right?
1: Them? Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody's so f- afraid of that nowadays. It right. is divisive. It's as, It's no. It's those who are departing from orthodoxy that are being divisive. Right not those who are calling them to it. Again, there's a tone. There's a way of doing things. Yes. But here he, he just straight up says, you know, you have, are. You have, yeah, you hold to the teachings of these people. And what do you tell them to do? Repent.
0: Right. Get away from it.
1: Yeah, and he says if not, otherwise I will come to you quickly and fight against yeah. them with the sword, with of, my the sword mouth.
0: of my mouth, which is the word of God, right? <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. It's, so
0: it's incredible to just yeah. to just think that something that I that I find at least in modern church world, modern in particular, American evangelicalism at times it seems that we want to get a little loosey goosey on doctrine, on these, on orthodoxy, on the gospel, and 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 it's exactly where we need to be pouring concrete, so to speak. It's foundation stuff, man. Uh, like uh, to your point, we can change some things about methodology, about how we do things, but man, we have got to not have wiggle room when it comes to the truth and to the gospel.
1: Absolutely. And we can't be ashamed of that or, or feel guilty or bad to care about these things. These are things that Jesus cared about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So he, he goes on here, just kind of bring, just kind of landing the plane on, on this letter to Pergamus. And he tells this church, he's like, look, if you'll trust me, verses 17 um, and 18, he says, I'm, I'm going to, well, in verse 17, he says, I'm going to bring manna for you to eat. Basically, I'll give you the hidden manna. And, you know, we understand that Jesus himself likened the word of God to spiritual food, right? Nutrition for yep. our souls. And and so it's almost like Jesus is telling them, once he corrects them, once he says you're eating, basically, it's like a trainer telling a, a person you're eating garbage, and this stuff will kill you. So you're you're basically eating way too much junk. Uh, Jesus brings mm-hmm. them back to uh, the meal plan, if you will, for a believer, a healthy, theologically sound believer, and it's this manna. Uh, let's just land the plane there, Dean, And talking about how do you see the Word of God being basically nutrition for our souls and why it's so important that we feed on it regularly as believers.
1: Well, the Scriptures tell us that it's by that that we grow in our salvation, you know, like new, newborn babies. Peter wrote, "Crave this pure spiritual look of the word." So by that, like that's the means God gives us to grow. The primary other ways. Right. Sure, so that that's the way we have grown our salvation. And also, unless you live in a like monastery, yeah. where you sit there and read the Bible all day long, basically <laughs> yes. all you do that and pray. That means for all of us, even guys like us who are pastors, we're right. still you know. Wait,
0: Dean, are you saying you don't just pray and read the Bible all day?
1: What? Um, only on, uh, only every day except for Saturday, <laughs> but uh, you know. But I'm just that spiritual, so right. Of um, but uh, I, I'm a, I am a Patriots fan, so I definitely read the Bible and pray oh, for the Patriots games lately man, after this me. debacle of the season we had. Killing uh, me, but but um, but the rest of the day, the rest of the day, I'm filling myself. Right. Not even sin, it's not even sinfully. It's just things that aren't of God's work. Correct. Right, right. So, so I really there's neutral things a lot of times. Sure. So I, so I need to make sure that I'm getting that nourishment. It's almost like I have a detox every day from it. Right. right. Yes. And, and if we're big on detoxing our bodies, how much more important is our spiritual body? Right. Oh, so, so, so we yes. have to take that really seriously.
0: Well, I know in my own life, just just to carry the analogy just a little bit further in my own life, if I eat. You know, if I go on a trip on vacation, I get off my nutrition plan and I eat a bunch of junk. I feel it, man, physically. In the yeah. same way, if I go a day or two without time with Jesus and getting in the Word of God, I become a different person, man. I mean, my wife, my kids would tell you really quickly, I know when Dad hadn't been with Jesus. I know when he's not in the Word because it comes off the wheels pretty fast. I'm, I'm amazed at how powerful uh consistent time in the word of god impacts my life is that true for you as well
1: yeah definitely but here's what i love about what you just said what a testimony to your family that hey dad needs the bible mm. right what, what a testimony! like yeah. I, I i want them to, to think that about you right, right, <laughs> you right. Know, like, and my kids to think that about me like wow we, we need the word like not being the word affects him like yeah. i want now, I want my kids, I think that about me. <laughs> wow! Right. You know, and, and also, that should be true. Like, if we really are walking with Jesus, and the times that we're maybe filling our th- filling our lives with other things than Jesus, it should have an effect on us. Or I worry uh, if we're really walking with Him. So, that, I think that's great,
0: man. So true. Dean, thank you so much, man. This has been really awesome, and I knew it would be. Thank you for saying yes to the podcast, and and you've got a church here in, in South Alabama that loves you and loves your church, and just so grateful for friendships like you in ministry, that uh, guys that are carrying the banner of the gospel and, and want to reach your community for Christ. Would you tell uh, the listeners the name of your book and where they can find it? Because I would love for them to pick that up.
1: Sure, and I feel the same way about you guys, what y'all are doing, so thank you. It's called The Unsaved Christian, and it's about reaching cultural Christianity with the good news of Jesus, and it's about really reaching, I believe, the largest mission field where we live, and that is people who think they're Christians, they're actually not. And I don't think I'm the judge if he's a Christian, nor do I want to be, but the scriptures are. You know, we got to make right. sure that we're clear on that. So uh, so yeah, and I'm pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida, so we're, uh, we're about um, under four hours from you guys, straight down I-10.
0: Man, that's awesome. I have read your book. It's amazing. In fact, this year it's on our calendar that we're going to take our staff through your book uh, as a team here at Three Circle. And, uh, Dean, thanks again for uh, for being with us today. And, uh, Three Circle, uh, check out the podcast each week after uh, the weekend teaching. We're going to go a little bit deeper with different guests each week. And, again, let's continue to learn from the Word of God. And in light of everything Dean has taught us and talked to us about today, uh, let's keep the Word of God in the gospel center in our lives so that we don't we don't go down the road the church of pergamos did that we stay on track and uh, until next time we'll see you at three circle church